Welcome to the Sugar Science Podcast, where our mission is to highlight and connect researchers in the type 1 diabetes space. I'm Monica Wesley, your host for today's podcast. And today, I have a distinct pleasure to to speak with uh, Alex Coggill, PhD. She is, you know, head of uh, business uh, development, is that correct, at Immuni? Yep. And just a little bit about Alex. She has quite a history in immunology. She, she got a PhD in immunology from the University of Texas at MD Anderson, where she was supervised by Nobel laureate James Allison and physician scientist Jennifer Wargo. And Alex has actually published over 50 scientific articles with more than 9,000 citations, primarily at the intersection of immunology, oncology, and healthcare. In addition to her scientific work, she has uh, 13 years of experience in drug development and corporate strategy at leading firms and institutions globally, such as the NCI, uh, Harvard Medical School, uh, SR1, and the University of Pennsylvania, flagship pioneering, and the French National Institute of Health and Medicine Research, INSERM. She earned her BS from uh, UNC, University of North Carolina, Pembroke, and her um, engineering degree from UPenn. Finally, um, I'd like to welcome Alex. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're really excited to talk about Immuni. Can you give us a little history of Immuni? Sure. So Immuni was founded in uh, December of 2018. I think on the back of some incredible co-founders who just have a deep expertise in machine learning and AI alongside uh, single cell genomics. And so um, part of this are are, probably thought leaders in the space like Dan Littman at NYU. uh, Danny Wells, who was part of the Parker Institute for Cancer Immunotherapy, um, and Ansu Satpathy, who is a professor at Stanford and has, again, like deep expertise in this single cell genomic space. And then we had two incredible, who are now our CEO and our CTO, uh, Noam Solomon and, and, and Lewis, who uh, are out of MIT, who both Noam has two PhDs in math and computer science and, and Lewis, um, you know, again, has an incredible computational tech background. So a really good mix of scientists and computational people to kind of address the questions of the day. Yeah. It sounds like a dream team, honestly. Um, It's really amazing. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about Immuni. What, um, what are you, what are your plans uh, with Immuni? I mean, I know you just got a, a big cash infusion. And that's so exciting because that'll power the company forward. Uh, But how can it be used to learn more about autoimmune diseases and specifically type 1 diabetes? Right. This is a great question. Yeah. Thank you for touching on the seed. It's like not an arbitrary thing, right? To raise $80 million. No, Um, it's huge. But uh, we've been able to, yeah, raise $80 $80 million up to um, in two years, which is incredible. And I think it's genuinely because people believe in the potential of the platform and really the central thesis of the company, which is we genuinely believe and are completely motivated by the idea that the immune system is the reason you have any perturbation of disease and uh, health for that matter. And if this is in fact true, then you can imagine in trying to deeply understand and map the immune system, kind of like Google mapsing the immune system and understanding the complexity there, you would be able to touch pretty much any disease that had direct immune involvement. And, and to be fair, I don't know a lot of diseases that aren't involved in the immune system, but that's exciting for the company. I think it's super exciting. And I think it's, it's surprising that not that, that a map like this hasn't been done before, I guess this is, it's sort of like a brave new world. You're, you're really starting to map unknown space. It's almost like you're explorers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, in order to deal with all these disparate diseases from cancer to autoimmunity, 
it does seem to me that, that a, nap, a map is needed. Right, exactly. And I think you make a great point to say that like, you know, we wouldn't have been able to explore the world or fly across, you know, like do any of the things that people did when they discovered countries unless there were like boats, right? And the idea is that we currently have these like boats, which all, you know, designate as these type of advanced technologies and single cell, you know, genomics for one of them. But the ability to do this has only been realized in the present day. And so it, you kind of wonder like, why hasn't someone done this yet? But clearly it's because we just haven't had the technology. And so we're, this, we're in this beautiful age of biology that allows us to interrogate and map to you know a degree of specificity that we've never been able to do before and and especially because most of the time people spent their lives in in immunology studying one particular part of it but you don't see a lot of like collaboration about oh well i know everything there is to know about t cells and you know everything there is about b cells and those people generally don't like collaborate but i think our idea is all of these things are super important they clearly have an interdependent role to have each other and they have a complex cytokine network that tells each other what to do. And so in trying to unravel that, that map, I think in, in order to discover where we are, we need, we need it to discover it where we're going to go. Yeah. It's a perfect time to bring um, these tools together and set up the landscape. I think um, to your point with the siloing of science, we really appreciate that because here at the sugar science, this is one of our goals is to unsilo the research. And we've, you know, been, uh, you know, we're nine months old now, but we've been attempting to unsilo the research and to no one's fault, really. Right. It's just because type one diabetes is a multifactorial disease. And so you've got, you know, the GWAS people, you have the clinical mm -hmm. endocrinologists, you've got the, um, you know, the heavy immuno team up, you know, at places like Benaroya. And then you've got even other things. Now you've got the microbiome coming into yep. play and you've got the stem cell, you know, people and, you know, from Harvard Stem Cell Institute and others places. So there's, there's so many silos and yeah. they don't even have their own meeting. You know, they, they do right. have the VA, but it's, it's really eclipsed by type two. So I think that that's a tool like Immuni is going to, um, in, in some ways be a place they can all convene and mm -hmm. add value. So how let's just talk about Immuni for a second. How, are, what is your plan to sort of set up this landscape? Yeah, I think this is a great point. And I think what, what you said, I'll just touch on it briefly before I answer your question, but um, these silos exist, I feel like across the board. It's not even that this just happens in science, right? Like I've had a, a vested interest my entire career, which is why it's like sort of all over the place to like understand even the silos that are created when you want to bring a drug or an interesting research question to a patient. That process yeah. in itself is extremely siloed. So it's like, yes. how are we supposed to break down all of these silos and get people to talk to each other if they can't even agree that there's a central problem? And I think that is what gets to your question about how Immuni is trying to make this different. First of all, it's by, again, like keeping that central mission of like why we do what we do is because we believe this is such a central idea to, to shift the way drugs are made is to focus on the immune system, not focus on the chemistry of the drug. Not that that's not important, but not to primarily focus on that or, or the biology of a particular um, disease itself, but rather to understand how that involves the immune system in any particular way. And the way we're getting people to do this is pretty much reaching out to you know, we have wonderful academic collaborations. We have incredible pharmaceutical companies um, that we're partners with. And what we do is we go to them and say, tell us about your pain point. What is the problem that you're having? Not just within like your single 
um, siloed little area where you're studying a single question for a large pharmaceutical company, but like being able to have conversations with the scientists in the company, with the executive leadership of the company and say, tell me about your pain, you know, and, and large pharma and academics are not that different in that they both have a ton of questions that they're individually motivated by, but a pharmaceutical company and a department at a hospital are very interested in like, how do we take all of these things that we're learning all the time across all these diseases, right? Like J&J has like nine different indications that they study. It's like, could we have any transfer learning here? And we say like, we're perfectly positioned to help you answer that pain point in, on an individual scale. But on the larger scale, if you want to look at data in an accessible way across the board and learn these things, we have an incredible cell atlas and AI algorithms to allow for that transferability in the context of um, immunology. And that seemed to connect very much with the partners that we're currently working with and then developing our own R&D internally to, to be able to assist in that effort. Yeah. So you're at the same time you're mapping, you're also creating curated um, solutions Yes, right? or trying to create curated solutions for industry and perhaps with academia. I mean, I can think of one right now as one of the biggest issues is, um, you know, we've got all these fantastic uh, pancreatic beta cells now, and they're ready right. for eyelet, you know, implantation, but there's so many, we want to talk about pain points. There's pain points there because, you know, how long, you know, uh, does this implant last in a human before the immune system uh, right. kicks in and, and, you know, kicks it out. Fibrosis is an issue vascularization. So, I mean, that's a beautiful, you know, little suite of problems yeah. right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you guys can attack. Right. And I think this is such a great point to bring up because a lot of the people that come to us um, when we have these conversations, a lot of it is um, my drug or my approach for diabetes or for oncology or for COVID. It failed. And we think it's because the immune system is messing with our drug. And it's like, why? And that question is like, I would rather have had this conversation with you two years ago before it failed. Right. And we, I could have like been the preacher on the Mount saying like, the immune system, you need to pay attention to it before you move this forward. But luckily for Immuni, the skill that we have is to, you know, help in the beginning and help at the end to help turn around a failure. But I mean, diabetes is very well positioned to be able to utilize something like single cell uh, genomics and deep characterization of immunity across the board. I feel like even patient characterization of risk of type one diabetes is something that's like untapped when we imagine immune associated risk, right? Beyond like, can we rescue patients who are at risk or beginning to have some of the issues with these, um, you know, kind of auto, uh, auto antigen, like proteins that are damaging cells. And so some companies are looking to use drugs that allow for this to happen, but they don't really know like whether or not they can be rescued because they don't understand the underlying biology of the drug in terms of a mechanism. And we're here to help them, you know, dig down on that and, and actualize that, uh, that question. I'd really love to have you. Well, this is an off the, off uh, camera uh, discussion, but we'd love to have you maybe later down the line in a an off the records um, what we call off the record, where we gather scientists of different disciplines mm -hmm. and um, just sort of talk about strategy and the pain points. And I think right. you that your your position would add so much value there. So we'll have to talk about that offline. Oh but, yeah, I would love that. I, yeah. I, any conversation where there's like. Um, multiple disciplines at a table, I'm there, right? Like that's, those are the most exciting. I think, I think things move so much faster when you put a bunch of different people at the table. Yeah, I totally agree. And they have different, um, they're all looking at the 
through the lens of type one diabetes, but right. they're coming from different uh, positions. So it, it adds a richness to the discussion. Right. The other thing I wanted to bring up is just the, talking to you. It just seems like a natural um, place for you to, for discussions for you is with CPATH diabetes. I don't know if you guys have intersected with them, but they're trying to help streamline the process of getting people you know, a scientist basically in the water to do a clinical trial and do it right. the right way from the beginning. Right. Because we all know it's like, oh, we designed this clinical trial yep. and then, oh, it failed. Oh, why did it fail? Because it was right. poorly designed. Right. So they're trying right. to do this effort. And this guy, you know, in Arizona, initial authority is actually very, um, he's, he's really passionate about this. And it does seem like a uh, a really natural fit for a conversation with you guys. I hope you. Yeah. You know, I think a key that. part of um, the the conversations we have within the context of clinical trial design, um, and I think, and I say this with the caveat that like a, a drug that succeeds, right, which is like a very small percentage of that you go all the way through that development. Yeah. A drug that succeeds costs you two billion, but you're not just doing one drug blockbuster at a time, right? We see companies failing and failing and failing. And a lot of this is like, you're wasting all this money. Let us help you address that pain point, right? With better patient character characterization of, of the cohorts you select, better strategies at which to approach this. But with the central theme of like, you need to have an appreciation for the biology that allows for that strategic thinking to take place. And I think a lot of the times that's not part of the conversation. Yeah. And that's truly, you know, talking about personalized medicine this right. kind of approach is, is so uh, relevant in type one diabetes, because we know that there are many ways uh, to, you know, get type one diabetes. And there's also right. sort of different manifestations of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's fantastic what you're doing and uh, yeah. celebrate it. I wonder, and I will, I'm oh, sorry, okay. I, I will say that, like, what is fascinating about diabetes, and, and I say this as someone who spent, you know, five years looking at the microbiome being part of this multimodal story, is that we, we understand the impact of nutrition and exercise and all these like social and biological determinants that shape um, human health and disease. And diabetes is central to that. We see this in a globalization context immensely currently yeah. in, in the world. Right. And when I start to imagine that, it's like, it's almost so short-sighted when I, when I hear about ongoing work or failures in clinical trials to really look at the whole picture. It, like genuinely, I have a, a children's book like that I'm obsessed with when I was little and it like applies to being an adult, but it's called The Seven Blind Mice. And the idea is that there are seven blind mice like crawling all over an elephant. And one of them thinks that it's a fan. One of them thinks it's a brick wall. And it's because they're blind. They can't look at the whole elephant. And the idea is that you know, we're the unblinded mice that step back and immunize going, you guys, you guys, it's an elephant, right? <laughs> no one believes them, right? Because they're like, no, no, I'm convinced. But I, I genuinely think this is what is happening in science and research today that like, you have all these little silos that say, oh, no, I think it's metabolism. I think it's genetics. I think it's the microbiome. You know, I think it's immunity. But to us, it's all of those things. And without looking at all of those things, you'll never understand or be able to really move the needle in drug discovery. Totally. You are preaching to the choir here. And we also feel that, you know, in, in discussions with our team that, you know, and I've, I've sort of been, I trained as a cell and molecular biologist, but I've been mm -hmm. reading the literature for eight years now since she, my daughter was diagnosed. And I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I do right. have some sort of understanding of this. And it does seem that there's, um, it, it's a road, it's a mm -hmm. road to um, diagnosis. And and there's many players, you know, along yep. that road. So, so, you know, this seems, it seems like you're uniquely positioned to really 
basically understand the road, the landscape and the condition. So it's that's, really that's our hope. <laughs> yeah, I, it's really exciting. I mean, I've done a right. deep dive on the company, and I I just think it's just an exciting company. I yeah, want to. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say. I think the other part of this is not just that we're um, at a fundamental biological level. I think asking the right questions, but realizing that when you start to imagine all of that, if you were able to do all of those multimodal assays with which to assess the question, you imagine like a single sample has more than a terabyte of data for sure. And if you start to think of like, our atlas is, you know, over 20 million cells. And so it's like, it needs, you know, we want to keep growing that. But the idea is that like, you need to be able to have a system and a computational uh, strategy around how you cope with that amount of data. And again, this touches on like, we're in the present, like, you know, perfect invigoration of computational biology and storage and all these things. And AI and machine learning algorithms allow us to kind of swallow that data and to be able to spit out something that's, you know, impactful. Yeah. And that's perfectly said, because it's not just about gathering data. It's about understanding the data. And it's almost like you have to be able to come in at a, you know, a thousand foot view and right. then zoom down to the mm-hmm. one foot view. Exactly. So, and yeah. That, and uh, that process <laughs> of like zooming in and out, right. Also allows you to say like, we've learned so much about T cells or T regulatory cells in the context of oncology, because all of these new drugs. Um, and of course, if Jim you know, was here to talk about this, like the reason checkpoint blockade, I think in some cases has such durability, it's able to suppress T regs and promote this memory. But what we now know about T regs and oncology has direct implication in autoimmunity where the recognition of self and non-self, right, is driven by these particular subsets of T regs um, that allow for suppression and survivability and specificity. And, and again, that transfer learning doesn't take place that often unless you're kind of in the know. But with our algorithms and with our approach, we basically are able to zoom back out and say, oh, when we look at this in a diabetes cohort, right, we're able to recognize that this cell type in specifically is the one that's driving this autoantigen response yeah. or why GLP-1 is, is functionally different from these other drugs in such a positive way or why metformin has such broad applicability in aging and cancer and in diabetes, right? So it's those up and down, like kind of zooming in and zooming out and then transferability of that data that I think is so cool. Yeah, it is. It is very cool. What is Let's just ask, like, what's what's sort of first on the list in your discovery timeline? Um, so I think the immediate interest, and I think it's just because of the expertise of the company when we came in, is uh, was immediately in oncology because Ansu and our founders are in the oncology and microbiome space. And so a lot of the first people to, that we kind of knew was people we were already working with. And so that was in that space. Immediately, it became apparent that we started to ask these questions um, about cell therapy. And cell therapy is not at all exclusive to oncology, rather you know, autoimmunity, even in diabetes, there's types of autologous cell therapies that people are trying to utilize for treatment and maintenance of insulin, right? And in yeah. responsive insulin monitoring. And so uh, we, we really quickly started to move into that autoimmune space. I think also just due to COVID at the time, the company started in, in you know, the end of 2019 and kind of set up a lab in the spring of 2019. And then immediately, right, like we, we kind of got hit with COVID. So yeah. the company was so agile, Right. And because the mission is so clear, we immediately started to look at COVID and we just published a paper on the deep characterization of the B cell response with a hospital in Israel that had a massive patient cohort that they asked us to look at. So 
in terms of like immediately actionable, it was kind of oncology and COVID-19, but now we're already looking in autoimmunity, diabetes, lupus, psoriasis, IBD. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. No, uh, and JRF now has sort of circled the wagons with uh, their initiative on MS um, right. type one, right? And, yes. uh, and lupus. So that's an interesting um, triumvirate there, but mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's so many, there's some deep data sets, particularly in the Nordic countries right. um, that, you know, are just sort of waiting to be mined. Really. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, right? And so yeah. that is, uh, I just, I, I just hope you guys can uh, sort of insert some uh, T1D, you know, scientific interest. Uh, I'm sure you're just working on all cylinders right now, but absolutely. And then, and then capture that. It just seems like perfect. Um, it is. And I think what's amazing to me is every day I kind of take a look at the front pages of these leading journals across a number of indications. And every day I see more and more single cell data, yeah. you know, coming online in a public way. And the idea is like to be able to capture not just what's already been captured, but what's continuing to be done every day in the community, um, both large and small, is so valuable because you imagine how much bigger that cell atlas of ours becomes. And then with the proprietary application of our machine learning and AI, we're able to then, again, like impact across disease indications or within disease indications specifically. Fantastic. I think, um, and we did talk a little bit about intersection with clinical trials. Um, it's obviously very a perfect spot for you. Is yeah. there any place you're you're going to um, right now that you can talk about in that space? So with clinical trials, I think um, the the approach in my mind is very similar, no matter the disease, right? You want to be able to select the proper patients with which to assess the question that your clinical trial looks to answer, both for the FDA and the biology, right? Um, and so when we think about correlating immune surrogate endpoints with clinical endpoints, that becomes a very interesting question, one that the FDA is very interested in and one that the companies become very interested in. And what we're moving towards is predictive algorithms that allow us to say, um, you know, send, send your patient samples through our pipeline, um, both um, in the wet lab and in the computational end. And what we'll be able to build for you is an algorithm that allows us to assess whether or not we believe that this patient will be responsive or resistant to the clinical trial drug that they're likely to be assigned. And I think that provides so much, you know, well-characterized upfront data with which to start to imagine how not only do we look at single drugs, monotherapies, but how we start to imagine pairing a successful drug with another drug. So we know that um, Novo has like an incredible GLP-1 inhibitor that's just a blockbuster. But the idea is that like, it's not great for everyone. It has some resistance um, mechanisms within the context of its patient community. So the question is, well, could we look to identify drugs to combine with this type of inhibitor that would um, be broader reaching in the community? But to ask that question, we again, believe in the immune characterization of these patients within a clinical endpoint. Yeah, no, I think that that's right on. Um, and in fact, just after you, I'm speaking with Emily Sims, who just got out a great oh. paper uh, <laughs> on, uh, yeah, on tip Liz, uh, um, right. and you know, she's, um, you know, that there, there's a case in point, right? Like that's exactly. going to extend remission, uh, mm-hmm. in those with, the uh, anti early uh, presentation of, uh, autoantibodies, but <clears throat> can you, I mean, I have a question for her right here. Are you going, will you be able to add something to this drug treatment to maybe capture more patients and treat exactly. more patients? Exactly. And I think that is such an important question because I'm sure the answer is, well, yes. 
And then the next <laughs> question is, well, which one? And then it's like, well, we're exploring that. And the reason why they're exploring it is because most companies who approach combination therapies have a difficult time. It's very much like, I call it like spaghetti science. Like if you threw a bunch of noodles at the wall, you're like, which one's going to stick, right? And I think we that we should move away from this strategy and towards um, a deep characterization, again, of like all of these clinical correlates, the human metadata, the immune system that would allow you to say, okay, if we understand the mechanism of action of these three drugs, yeah. and we want to look at the patients who may receive this, who are already on GLP-1, and we know that those two things together, we can then predict which of those three you should probably chase, right? Yeah. Instead of, oh, do all three spends hundreds of millions of dollars in patients time and, and, you know, exhaust exhaustion, right. In order to like hit a brick wall, which is often what happens. So I think there's a part of that, that uh, maybe I'm super positive about the ability to do that, but I think that's a reasonable ask strategically. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, all these things, you know, we, the the name of the game to my mind is accelerating research. We have, you know, proof of concept that this can work from the COVID situation global scientists Mm -hmm. came together, the resources were shared, even big companies that were competitors shared resources. And as a result, we accelerated science. And I think that this is, this is exactly what needs to happen in some of these um, diseases like type one diabetes that have been around uh, for a hundred years. And people are still, even though their lives are, are helped with, um, Mm -hmm. you know, technology, people are still suffering and dealing with this. And particularly you know, young children who right. get it early, those parents and the families, you know, that's, this is a, it's a, it's a tremendous, uh, healthcare burden on families exactly. and the system. Exactly. So right. I think it's a really, the you know, we're right at the edge of, of bringing the unsiloing things and bringing this to fruition. I really feel it. And I, I do think, too. yeah, I feel, uh, you know, immunize is just in an absolutely perfect position to, you know, I don't know. I, to me, it seems like they could bring it across the finish line. That's what I'm hoping. I really hope that with, you know, our, with patients, with advocacy across the board, right. It's not just, we could, and you've seen this so many companies had incredible technology um, that they couldn't execute on. Right. Like I think of like TiVo was just like amazing back in the day, but it didn't execute. Right. They didn't, you didn't really connect with the why. So I think for me, Immunai has such a beautiful vision and they have an incredible team to do this with, but I think it's about making the right partners, the right ask, you know, thinking about the best biological questions that move the needle for a huge number of people. And to me, diabetes is a natural space with which to do that because there's so much unknown, right? You, you just described, um, you know, the, the pediatric population that's affected by this. A lot of this is like, we don't even understand predictively why it is that some kids get this and some don't. And so even that question of itself would be so valuable. And so we start to think about all these things. And that's why I was so excited to be able to talk to you and talk about diabetes, despite coming from an immunology kind of oncology background. I think there's just like so much exciting things going on. Yeah, no, it's natural. I think it's a natural progression and cancer research and autoimmunity have a lot of um, cross pollination going on, which is, which is great. Um, I just wanted to, you know, I didn't know if you were wanted to share any additional information about Immuni. Are you guys looking for scientific partners? Are you looking for, you know, hires? Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to the community who is, a, you know, predominantly uh, young scientists and, and thought leaders in the type 1 diabetes space. Yes, um, we're, we're hiring like crazy. We, we are always excited to take on 
um, you know, people who are kind of excited by this mission and what we want to do, both in the computational space and the business space and the scientific research space, there's all this interest and we would love if anyone wants to reach out, they're welcome to reach out to me. Um, and in terms of partners, we're always excited to have discussions about if we can help a partner overcome a pain point that they feel at any point within the development or research chain, like we're here to talk, you know, and, and I'm happy to arrange calls with anyone who has any amount of interest. I think that that's the most exciting part is to have these conversations and then to be able to then think about cool stuff that we could do with partners who are interested in changing the game. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate, um, you know, you're coming on today, Alex, and sharing um, this uh, exciting, um, you know, new initiative. I really appreciate your talking to us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so it's so great to be able to talk about it and to obviously hear about everything, you know, you guys are doing is, is incredible. So I hope we get to talk again soon. I think we will. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.